2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to go on in our series on sanctification, becoming more like Christ. Uh, Sanctification is almost a forgotten doctrine in our churches today, Uh, so we need to keep it fresh around here, uh, knowing that God is trying to conform us into the image of His Son. I'm thankful that I never have to go to hell because I trusted Christ as my Savior, but God still has us here for a purpose, and He wants to form us and, and use us for His honor and for His glory. And so we have been set apart. Somewhere in the heavenlies, we have been completely set apart. Right down here, we need to make sure that we are set apart, that we're doing what God would have us to do. And so we'll continue on with this. A refresher, Second Peter chapter number 1. Look at verse number 1. If you'll follow along, I'll read. Simon, <coughs> excuse me. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather brethren give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do, if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Excuse me. So far in this, we've looked at uh, the faith that God gave us, that we could trust Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, that would be saved by the grace of God. Then we added to our faith, or we went on, talked about adding to our faith virtue, virtues of willingness to please God, doing what God would have us to do. Uh, In the virtue knowledge, uh, I think there was three messages on that. You can't do what you don't know. And so we gain knowledge from the Word of God, and then we move on into knowledge temperance. And that's what we're going to address tonight, or begin to address tonight. I don't think we're going to get all, all of it out. Um, but I've titled the message, You Have to Do What You Have to Do. You have to do what you have to do. It's important. And God gives us what we have to do, but we have to do it. There's some things he doesn't do for us. There are things that we have to do ourselves. So let's pray and we'll get right on into it. Father, we are thankful for everybody that is out tonight. And we ask, Lord, that you'd help us. I just need your help, absolutely. Uh, Father, that you would would, uh, open open the hearts and ears of the hearers. And that you would help me, Lord, my thought process, uh, Lord, my speech, uh, just everything. That I would uh, preach this message just the way it needs to be preached. That the help that we can get from you, from your word, would be given tonight, Lord, in such a manner that we'll be better 
because of it. Please bless and help us now. Give us that power. Only you can. We'll trust you for that. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing for the reading of the Word of God. And do, do be seated. Let me give you a little scenario. A teenage girl opens the door to her parents' car and she slides behind the wheel. As mom gets in on the passenger's side, this young lady looks over her shoulder, locates the seatbelt, pulls it across, and straps it in place. Then she address, uh, adjusts the driver's seat until it feels comfortable, and leaning over to the right, she locates the ignition on the steering column, inserts the key in that, and starts the engine. She glances around the interior to make sure everything's okay and everything's in place. She looks over to her mom for approval, and with an encouraging word and a nod of her head, mom says, let's go. Taking a deep breath, the Daughter carefully depresses the brake pedal, uh, puts the shift lever into reverse, and begins to back out of the driveway after looking over her shoulder. When she sees the way is clear, she slowly uh, 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 backs on into the street and uh, stops there and with no small apprehension, shifts into drive, um, takes her foot off the brake and begins to inch slowly or forward. Um, within a few moments, she stopped at her very first intersection and driving her car. And she makes her first turn. She completes her first mile of the many thousands of miles that she will travel in her lifetime in a vehicle behind the wheel. Now let's consider how this young lady arrived at this point in her life. She arrived at the age that she could get a learner's permit, and with great joy, she believed that she could become a driver. And her and her mom had prepared her, her mom and dad, I'm sorry, had prepared her for this moment with a lifetime of good example, parental warnings and instructions. So when the day arrived, uh, she knew that she wanted to drive a car with the same skill, with the same safety, uh, the same virtue, I could say, that she had observed in her parents. And to accomplish her goal, she knew that she must acquire the knowledge and the skills to safely operate a car on busy streets and congested highways. And so, as the day approached, she observed her parents' driving habits, and she asked questions. She read and reread the driver's handbook, which I wish a lot of people would do, but we're not going to stop there. And she learned the uh, procedures for operating a car, memorizing the rules of the road, and everything that goes on there. Finally, underneath her mother's watchful eye, she's ready to get behind the wheel of the car, develop habits and disciplines, disciplines that are necessary to become a good driver. She'd have to learn to recognize the pride that could tempt her to become overconfident as she got behind the wheel of her car. She'd have to learn to say no to the impulse to rush through a stop sign or exceed the speed limit. She, she had to learn how to drive with temperance. She had to have that temperance because without it, she'd end up, well, she'd spend a lot of time paying tickets or uh, angering other drivers or making repairs or risking lives or whatever the case may be. 
We know that temperance is the application of knowledge. We talked about having a knowledge of the Word of God, and we know temperance is the application of knowledge. She had to take temperance. She had to practice temperance of the knowledge she had on how to operate a car. And it really doesn't matter whether we're learning to drive a car or play a sport or raise a child or become more like Christ. Knowledge informs us that there are some things that we must do and other things that we must not do in order to become skilled in anything, whatever it might be. There's things that you do and there's things that you don't do, no matter what. And that is certainly absolutely true in the Christian life. There are things that you need to learn to do and practice and there are things that we are not to do anymore. And it's very, very important. No, no, no. This is part of our sanctification of, of being set apart, of being used by God and being everything that God would have us to be. We, we have problems. And the reason why we are instructed to add temperance to knowledge is that our knowledge of the Word of God will teach us that there are ways we are living that are not acceptable as a Christian. No, no. Once we get saved, the knowledge of the Word of God will teach us that the ways we are living are not acceptable as a Christian, they're incompatible with a Christ-like life. Let me give you a few examples. Galatians 5, 16, 17 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things ye would. Ephesians 5, 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetous, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. So we are supposed to live a different life after we get saved. Somebody say amen right there. Amen. Absolutely so. Philippians 2.14, do all things without murmurings or disputings. That's a very good one to learn early in our Christian life, that whatever God would direct us, that we wouldn't be upset about that, that we would just know that we've been bought with a price and we are supposed to do the things that God would have us to do. And not only does the Bible teach us some things, uh, uh, some things that we must not do, but it also teaches us that there are some things that we need to begin to do. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 32 says, <clears throat> excuse me, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, for, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Matthew chapter 5 verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, <clears throat> excuse me, which is in heaven. Matthew 7, 7, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be open unto you. So there's things that we're not supposed to do anymore once we're saved by the grace of God. And there are things that we're supposed to start doing once we're saved by the grace of God. And without temperance, we will continue to do that which we ought not. And we will fail, and we will fail to consistently do that which we should. Temperance, this temperance is essential to change. It's very essential to change. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me give you another example. A woman has a troubled marriage. And uh, things have become so bad that it's as if she had never really has a moment of happiness anymore because of her marriage. And she gets so angry at her husband and her children at times that she says and, and does things that make her question what kind of person that she has become. So when a friend invites her to church, she considers it. 
And she knows she needs something. Something's got to happen to change things. And uh, she's thinking, maybe what I need is God and what God can do for me. So on a Sunday morning, she attends church with this friend. And when the invitation is given, she very tearfully responds, receives Christ as her personal Savior. And then in the weeks that follow, she attends every Sunday morning service and even begins to attend Sunday school. She's learning things from the Word of God. She's gaining this knowledge. She's hungry to learn. Even though some of the things she learns make her uncomfortable, some of the things she learns she doesn't fully understand. And, and it's really like, man, this just goes against everything that I am and everything that I've been doing. We've all kind of been through that. We've been saved any amount of time at all. And she begins to feel guilty. She begins to feel, excuse me, guilty about her quick temper. She begins, she begins to feel guilty about her harsh words and, and her profane mouth, the profanity. And she knows that she's not acting the way that a Christian should act. And one morning, she and her husband have this very nasty argument, and he storms out of the house just in a rage because of everything, but not before slinging some very cruel words to her about how her religion does not seem to be doing her very much good at all. And that morning, she feels so sick that she just goes ahead and calls into work, and when she hangs up the phone at that point, she falls across her bed, she begins to weep very bitterly about everything that's going on, and as she lays there and cries, she begins to talk to God, and as she talks to God, she tells him how very sorry that she is, and she knows that she needs to change, and she wonders aloud if there's any real hope for her, even if her faith is real, man, if this really, is this really, is this really happening to me, and when she finally cries all she can cry and and she grows still she begins to recall some of the bible truths that she has learned in sunday school classes and and in church services and god she remembers how god has made her a new creature in christ and she remembers how the holy spirit of god lives inside of her and really wants to help her and she remembers how he can change things that she cannot change on her own and 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 yes her anger is sin and her words have been very unchristlike but god's grace and God's forgiveness are available to her and in a moment she slides off of her bed and gets on her knees and with tears running down her cheeks she asks God for the forgiveness that she needs and the grace and the strength and the help that she needs and the response she receives is so very real it's almost as 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 is as if Jesus is is standing right next to her reassuring her look my sister you're forgiving and I'm here to help you if you will just yield to me and 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 we if you will just yield to me we can show your husband the power of my spirit and the power of my grace god is a prayer answering god and we when we decide to be uh dependent upon him And really trusting Him in all that we do and calling out to Him and asking for the help that we need. And we're broken about the sin that is in our lives. He can do miraculous things. And He does still speak to our hearts. Oh, absolutely so. No, 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 no. He does still direct us. He'll tell us where we're wrong. I'm very thankful for that. So this woman, she spends the afternoon making her husband's favorite meal. She does some housework. She's been neglecting. When her husband arrives home, she meets him at the door. She's wearing his favorite perfume and and having, uh, she's spent a few extra moments trying to 
looked really nice for him when he got there. Her husband, meanwhile, when he pulls up in the driveway, all he can think about is that early morning fight. And he's relived every moment of that argument. And by the time he parks his car there in the driveway, he is just angry and bitter. I mean, just as much as he was before he ever left the house. And, and, and as has happened on so many other occasions, he comes to the door ready to fight. He's just ready to go right at it again. When he sees his wife, he sees her exactly as he did when he left that morning. What do you mean, preacher? Just, just eyes of, his eyes are clouded with bitterness and, and, and anger. And it doesn't take long before she's being pummeled with verbal blows from him. Reminding her of all the bad things. And when all of that starts, it's as if... Uh, it's as if anger is just building up in her soul again. And the way that she's been for so many years before this time that she trusted Christ, well, just like she's preparing to kick all that back in. Because in the short time she's been saved, I mean, she's really not forgotten how to fight back. She's not forgotten how to defend herself. To, and she's, not, she's not forgotten how to give better than her husband can dish out. But even as that begins to build up inside of her and, and the words begin to form in her heart, she remembers the reassuring words of Jesus. And the Spirit of God calls to mind Scripture she, had heard, she has heard. Things like, my grace is sufficient for you. Things like, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Things like, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Peace. Things like, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. And at that very moment, this wife takes her first step of temperance. What do you mean, preacher? At that point, she just denies all the fleshly responses that are rising up in her, and she yields to the Spirit of God. As bad as I want to say all these things going on in her head, I'm not going to do it. I am going to handle this the way that God would have me to handle this. I'm going to address this God's way and not my way. And really to her own surprise, as well as to the surprise of her husband, she hears herself apologizing for her angry words and asking for forgiveness. She, she admits that, that he was right. Her words hadn't been Christian whatsoever. The way that she had acted, they, those words had been hateful and bitter and, and very wrong. And she assures him, listen to me please, she assures him that by God's grace and with God's help, she wants to change. Things have to be different. I know things have to be different. 
Well, I bet things were just great after that, weren't they, preacher? Oh, stay with me here. The days following probably weren't taken from a fairy tale. Come on, it's not like it was happily ever after after that, and they never had another problem again. Because sinful habits aren't broken in a day, or a week, or even a month. I mean, that old nature is very strong, isn't it? And it has a real pull, doesn't it? Oh yeah, absolutely so. I'm thankful, I'm thankful, I'm thankful that that, that, that new nature God, I'm thankful for the new nature God gives us when we're saved by His grace. And I wish I could say that at that point the old nature just completely died, but it doesn't. It's still there. So we have to decide, as we've talked about already, that, uh, no, no, even, even the verses we read says to add to our faith. We have to add these things. We have to decide to do what we know to do. You learn the things. We ask God for help. He will give the help. But then we have to decide, stay with me here, we have to decide that we are going to do what we know to do. What we know to do. But I can guarantee you this by our own life, by my own life, that every fresh step of temperance will produce a little more change. No, no, every time that we begin to practice what we know from the Word of God, it will help us just a little bit more, and just a little bit more, and just a little bit more, and make us more like Christ. And that is God's goal for our life, to be like Christ. Christ. Just a few things here. We know that temperance is definitely a fruit of the Spirit, right? Galatians chapter 5 verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And the temperance that produces Christ-likeness is more than is more than just a discipline of the flesh. It's more than that. It's more than just self-control. It's more than that. The temperance that produces Christ-likeness requires dependence upon the Holy Spirit of God. We can't do this by ourselves. I couldn't change my life by myself. I tried before I came to know Christ. I tried to change my life by myself. I could not do it by myself. And I'm still not able to be everything that I should be for God by myself. It's not going to happen. It, become, it comes with a dependence on the Holy Spirit. And, and here's a giant key to this. Please, please get this. And, and I know this is, this is, this is, this is very basic, but, but it, it's, it's, it's so good. The desires for sin must be refused. Okay, let me ask you a question now. I know it's midweek service. I know we're all tired and everything. But let me ask you a question, okay? As a Christian, as a born-again child of God, is it right to sin? No, it's not a trick question. (laughs) Uh, The answer is just no. It's not. So if we know something is sin, 
And we're tempted in the flesh to do that or say that or look at that or listen to that or go there or whatever the case may be. Then we have a choice to make at that time, don't we? Well, I don't know why I did that, preacher. Let me tell you why you did that. You decided you would. No, no, no. It's time. We're not talking about the world philosophy here. We're talking about Bible truths. I'm telling you, it's time that we took responsibility for those things we do and say. And it's time we take responsibility for that. It's not right to sin. It's not right. And so we have to decide whether or not we're going to follow the teachings of the Word of God, the knowledge that we have of the Bible, or not. And so many times we must, we must refuse these desires of sin. Anybody in here have any desires to sin? Bunch of liars. Everybody should have responded there. I was on the way back from my house after changing, putting my suit on, on the way back to my house. It'd probably do good if I didn't have to drive. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to openly confess my sin tonight, okay? But I mean, it'd probably just be good if I didn't have to put up with If everybody drove like me, this would be a great world. Absolutely. <laughs> Look, there's going to be those desires to sin, whether it's something small, something large, however we want to look at it. There's going to be those desires to do things we know we shouldn't do. And we have to refuse that. We have to refuse it. We have to refuse it. No, I'm not going to do that. Lord, I need your help at this very moment. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. I don't want to look at that. I don't want to listen to that. I don't want to do that. Lord, I want to be what you would have me to be. No, no, that temperance. Okay, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Likewise reckon ye, ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign, run your life in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And so we have to decide that what God wants for us is more important than what we want for us. It has to be a decision. And whether it's something that we think, well, that's not a big deal. It's a big deal if it goes against what God says we should do. Or whether it's something that we absolutely know, I definitely shouldn't be doing that, but we're tempted to do those types of things. The desires of the Spirit have to be obeyed. They have to be obeyed. Romans 8, 5. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So we can have the peace of God that passes all understanding if we are listening to God and doing those things that He would have us to do and stopping those things that He would have us to stop. It's very, very important. When we say yes to the Holy Spirit's leading, He strengthens us. Get this, please. When we say yes to the Holy Spirit's leadings, He strengthens us to say no to the flesh. Lord, I want to do what you'd have me to do. And I'm telling you, He gives us the strength to overcome. He gives us the grace that we need. 
He saves us by His grace and He changes us by His grace. It is so very important that we're willing to listen to Him. Temperance is demonstrated by a will, a will that consistently conforms to the will of God. Okay, we were given a free will, isn't that right? Yes, we have a free will. Nobody forced you to get saved. You got saved because Jesus convicted you of sin and you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and He saved your soul. Thank God for that day. If you've ever, if you've ever experienced that, you'll never forget that. I mean, you know that you know that you're saved by the grace of God. Thank God for that. Uh, wonderful. But then after that, we still have a free will. Brother Dean, we still have a free will. We choose what we're going to do or not going to do. We choose what we're going to listen to or not going to listen to. We, we choose. No, no, we can choose. Well, I'm a Christian now, and, and I guess now God's going to stop me. Then let me, just, let me just stop you right there. No, 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 no. We have to choose whether or not we're going to stop doing those things we shouldn't do. Or whether we're going to start doing those things that we shouldn't do. You know, I got saved by the grace of God out of a life of drug and alcohol abuse. And, and, and I'm telling you, I didn't know anything about church. All of a sudden, I had this desire to go to church. It was crazy. It was crazy. Go to church. This is nuts. I mean, they're going to be, people aren't even going to believe when I walk into the church house. That's the way I felt. But I had this desire to go to church. And only God, only God could have given me that desire. Only God could have done that. And so I started going to church. Now, I didn't have to. I could have resisted that. I could have said, no, I'm not going to go to church. That's the craziest thing. I ever heard. I could have did, but I'm glad I didn't. And God dealt with me about a lot of other things, which I'll not bore you with, about quitting this and starting this and not doing this and doing this. And the things that I listened to God, He gave me great victory and great blessing for it. And the things that I didn't, I regretted later. And finally, God brings us to a place where we say, Lord, if whatever, what, whatever your will is, that's what I want to do. I'm more concerned about doing what you would have me to do than to doing my own thing. Very, very important about that. Sanctification, being set apart for God. Our, our, our growth towards Christ, Christ-likeness in all things. So temperance may be defined as, get this, this is, this is good. Temperance may be defined as choosing what Jesus would choose and rejecting what Jesus would reject in all things. Choosing what Jesus would choose and rejecting those things that Jesus would reject. God has a will for every issue of life. I mean every issue of life. What he would and would not have us to do in every issue of life. This world has people so very confused. And we need to get back to the word of God. And whatever the word of God says is wrong, we take it as wrong. Whatever the word of God says we ought to be doing in this life, we need to be doing it. I'm telling you, it's, it's, not, it's not rocket science. It's not like it's real difficult to, to discern the will of God. It's just um, a challenge that's put before us to practice it. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 uh, uh, says, where, where, uh, uh, Whether therefore you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. So our life, everything that we do, we're supposed to do all to the glory of God. John, John chapter 8, verse 29. And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him, Jesus said. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to do, always do those things that please God. And when we displease God, 
when we displease God, um, there will be conviction if we know Christ is our Savior. When we do those things that we should not be doing, we'll know at that point, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have gone there. I shouldn't have looked at that. I shouldn't have listened to that. I mean, no, no, no. The Holy Spirit does convict us deeply about those things, doesn't he? Sure he does. Absolutely so. So if Christ-likeness is the goal of sanctification, then habitually doing what pleases God is the fruit, if, if, if I can say it this way, is the fruit of temperance. A spiritually mature Christian will lead an active lifestyle of habitual obedience to the will of God. Choosing what pleases God and rejecting what does not please God. It's, no, no, it's an everyday practice. Come on, when we, open our, when we open our eyes in the morning, Lord, you've got to help me from this point forward. I'm going to get up. I'm going to have to, I'm, I'm going to, have to begin to deal with society and my own life and, and all these things that go on. I, I need your help today. I am yielded to you. I, I, I've got to have your help. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Thy will be done. We're asking God, help me. To do what you would have me to do. And what we choose and what we reject. Get, get this. Come on. We're doing good. What we choose and what we reject are strongly influenced by three factors. We're going to look at those and we're going to choose upsides and go home. Now, now get this. Temperance. Temperance is choosing what Jesus would choose and rejecting what Jesus would reject. The choices we make in life are, are affected by three factors. Three factors. Number one, appetites, that which we crave, that which we crave, that which the flesh craves, uh, that which we crave. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3, among whom also we all had our conversation or lifestyle in times past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And, and so, so those appetites that we have, that, those appetites that the flesh has. Second Peter 1 4 says, Whereby are, are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature. We're given exceeding great and precious promises of God. First off, the gospel, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that we might know Jesus Christ as our Savior, but also these, these precious promises that we can live for God, and God will give us victory. And, and, and at ver, ver, that verse finishes up like this, having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. So if we're listening to the great precious promises that God has given us, we can, we can, we can, we can live the life that God has for us. We can uh, deny the appetites of our own flesh, those things that we, that we crave, and we can have victory. We have appetites in the flesh, things that stimulate uh, 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 pleasure to, in us, Physically, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse number 31, these are, are represented by most basic uh, uh, needs of our physical appetites, the desire to eat and drink. We have, we, have, we have appetites, appetites. We have these desires of the mind. We have these desires, the desires to be loved, the desire to be lo uh, liked or valued or respected or successful, whatever the case may be. So, so we have these, these appetites, these things that we crave, whether it be those types of things or, or really the, 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 the sinful things, the appetites that we have. But also, number two, we have, uh, uh, it's influenced by affections. Affections, what do you mean, preacher? Those, those things, what, it's, it's what we love, what we love. 
Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says this, and thou shalt love the Lord God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. It's so very important that we follow this first commandment. What we do in our Christian life will be affected, um, be affected by our affections. And if we are practicing this first commandment that we love God with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, we're going to do better. When we begin to love Him more than we love our old life, we're going to do better. Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. The, uh, the heart sums up our affections generally. However, Jesus is teaching us that our affections extend to the soul, which would be our emotions, the mind, that would be our intellect, and to our strength, which would be our bodies. Every part of our being, soul, mind, and strength, is influenced by what we love. Please stay with me here. It's influenced by what we love. Our soul and mind and strength. Our, our soul. You know, some people think roller coasters are exciting. Me and Miss Pam, we love roller coasters. We love roller coasters. Think they're exciting. But there's other people that think they're terrifying. So one loves roller coasters, the other despises roller coasters. It's just not the right thing to do, or so. And then we think about the mind. Some people find arithmetic stimulating. Others find it taxing. <laughs> one loves math, the intellectual challenge, and others hate math. I'll not tell you which category I'm in. I refuse to do that. And then our strength. <laughs> our body. Some people find broccoli delicious. Others find it disgusting. One loves broccoli. And others can't stand broccoli. When we love God supremely, supremely, we habitually choose to do what pleases Him. And we reject what does not please Him emotionally, intellectually, and physically. Because He becomes more important than our own personal desires. He becomes more important than that. So we have um, our appetites, we have our affections, and, and thirdly, our appraisal. What do you mean? What we value, what we truly value. 
Philippians chapter 3 verse 7 says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So we know this, gain and lost are terms of value, terms of value. There are things that we are willing to lose because we place little or no value on them whatsoever. It doesn't make a big deal to us whether we lose some things in our life. Um, and other things we strive to gain because we highly value them. Very apparently that which held the highest value to Paul, that which offered the greatest reward or prize was the high calling of God. The high calling of God. More than anything else, Paul wanted to stand before Jesus Christ and hear these words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That meant more to him than anything else. Well, how come? Well, very apparently, he was loving God with all of his mind, soul, and strength. And he cared more about the Lord than he did anything else. He put him first in his life. First. You know, salad may not be my favorite thing to eat. I may not like eating salad affection. Yet I eat it fairly often because I value my health more than eating whatever I want. My appetite. I could live on pizza and hot dogs and hamburgers and burritos, which I have for most of the year this year, and egg rolls and hot links. I'm, I'm a junk food junkie. Give me a, bag of, give me a bag of jalapeno potato chips. I'm a happy, happy man, I'm telling you. I mean, I could bypass all that healthy stuff and just be happy. But it's not going to make me healthy. I could just go ahead and eat whatever I want to eat. I am a grown man and I could eat whatever I want to eat. But it's not that it's going to be good for me. See, temperance means that I deliberately glorify God with my appetites. That I love God supremely in my affections. And I value his approval above all else. I want to please him. Well, preacher, do you always do it? Look, I almost confessed my sins earlier. No, I don't always hit the mark. But that's what I want. That is my desire. Each and every day. And if we don't desire it and we don't practice it, we're never going to, we're never going to get there. Temperance is needful because of the inevitable struggle we experience as the Holy Spirit creates these new desires in us that are contrary to the desires and the habits of our fallen nature. God wants the place, the Holy Spirit wants the place the flesh has. He wants that place the flesh has. Come on, the flesh can control you. Somebody say amen. 
The flesh can absolutely control you. What you do, what you say, what you look at, what you listen to, where you go. It can control you. The Holy Spirit wants that place. He wants us to listen to Him. That He can guide us and give us victory. Don't go there. Don't say that. Don't listen to that. Don't watch that. Don't look at that. Whatever the case may be. I, I am telling you, those new desires, they, they, can, they can give us real victory if we listen to God. Romans 7.14 says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I, I do, I allow not. For what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. I need the Bible. Now then it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. But sin that dwelleth in me. No, no, that flesh that you have on... That's sin that dwelleth in you. I'm telling you, it will control you if it can. We have to give in to God. We have to listen to God. He goes on, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For the will is present with me, uh, with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. The Apostle Paul wrestled just like you and I wrestle because of our sin nature. Can I tell you that sin has been present in you ever since your birth? Ever since your birth, you were born with the sin nature. That's the principle of indwelling sin. Sin is present in me and it creates desires in me that are contrary to the will of God. I have to decide if I'm going to listen to me or if I'm going to listen to God. And we're all there. And if we're going to be sanctified, set apart like God wants us to be, we have to learn to listen to God and do what God would have us to do. The Spirit of God has been present in you from the moment that you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. From that very moment of your new spiritual birth, Romans 8, 9. But you're not of the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so, be the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. And so, and so you've had this, the Spirit of God has been there with you ever since you trusted Christ as your Savior. The Spirit of God and indwelling sin, the, the Spirit of God and, and indwelling sin are perpetually at war. They're at war. God wants to have the place that your flesh has. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Anybody ever find it hard to do right? It's a lot harder to do right than it is to do wrong. Wrong just seems to kind of flow out of us. We have to decide that we're going to follow God and do right. But when we do that, the Holy Ghost of God helps us and begins to give grace. And that's when changes start happening, real changes start happening. So I display temperance when I reject the desires of the flesh. When I say no to the indwelling sin. I display temperance when I satisfy the desires of the Spirit and say yes to the Spirit of God. Lord, this is what I want to do. In my flesh, this is what I want to do. This is how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it your way. 
Come on, just like that wife in that scenario, scenario, when the husband comes in just railing on her because, and she just handles things the way that God would have her to handle things. And whatever the scenario might be in your life, I'm going to do this your way, God. I'm tired of living it my way. I'm going to handle this the way you'd have me to handle this, God, because handling it my own way has not worked. Lord, I'd like to keep this in my life, but I know it's completely wrong. I should not live like that. So I'm getting this out of my life, whatever it takes. I'm telling you, that's when we start seeing great changes happen in our life. That's when we begin to see a real Christ-likeness, a real godliness. No, no, no. When we're willing to go to our home and look through our home and say, this has to go, and this has to go, and this has to go. I want everything as part of my life to be godly. For it to be what God would have it to be. Apart from temperance, our lives will be a perpetual roller coaster of conflicting actions, some which will please God and others that don't. Just flip-flopping all the time. But God wants better than that for us. We just have to be willing to yield to Him. So let me close with this. The necessity of adding temperance to our lives informs us that the journey toward Christ-likeness, come on, I know this is very basic, but please get it. The journey toward Christ-likeness requires change. It requires change. Well, I'm waiting for God to change me. No, He's waiting for you to change. He's not going to force this on you. He'll convict you of things. He'll try to guide you by His Word. He'll speak to your heart, but he's not going to make you do anything. But if you listen to him, then grace kicks in, and that's when real change takes place. But if you just keep on doing what you've been doing all along, that's the way it's going to stay. And you can do that the rest of your life and never experience what God has for you if you so choose to. The children of Israel wandered around in the wilderness until they died. We have to develop the habit, the good habit of intentionally saying yes to the will of God for our lives. The mature Christian life is not a passive existence. It's not a passive existence. Well, you just need to let go and let God. No, it's a life of action. If we're going to be what God would have us to be, we have to put effort into it. Well, I thought you said God changed my life, changed your life. He did. Absolutely so. He did change my life. When I started listening to him. When I started doing what he wanted me to do. When I decided that what he wanted was a lot better than what I wanted. It's a life of deliberate obedience to the will of God. 
It's, it's intentionally choosing what Jesus would choose and rejecting what Jesus would reject. Temperance is essential in our journey toward Christ-likeness. So it's vitally important that we consciously, that we consciously make the decision to add to, add to our faith knowledge, add to our faith virtue, and the virtue knowledge, and the knowledge temperance. What do I need to do, preacher? You need to decide to always do what God would have you to do. Because uh, he knows better than you. Well, preacher, what if that's not what I want to do? Well, it's going to determine whether or not you have real victory in your life. It's going to determine whether or not you have that uh, peace in your life. It's going to determine whether or not you have the joy of the Lord in your life. And if you decide not to, which you can do, you can do. You can do that. You can do it. But as your pastor, I have to tell you, if you decide that way, you'll have to pay the consequences of it somewhere. You can't choose to sin without paying consequences somewhere. Man, I want better than that for you. You know, a lot of great decisions were made at camp. We heard about them for four hours on Sunday night. I'm thankful. Man, thankful. I could have listened for a lot longer. Very thankful for every decision that was made. But I'm telling you, no, no. If you don't uphold that decision tonight, and then tomorrow, and then the next day, 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 and you begin to listen to the flesh again more than you're listening to God, I'm telling you, you'll find yourself right back in that same old spot. And that's not what God wants. You uphold the decision with temperance. I'm going to do those things that the Lord would have me to do. And I'm going to stop doing those things that the Lord would have me to stop. And I'm going to make sure that I practice loving Him with everything that's in me. And that that becomes more important than anything that I would want in this world. Well, preacher... Well, preacher, that's, that's not real exciting. Well, it gets more exciting as you follow him. For sure. Because you finally begin to see things happening in your life that only God could make happen. You know the thrill of God working on your heart and you making those decisions, going to an altar, and this is what I need to do. And I've been, it's a thrill. It's a joy when you know that God has worked on your heart and you make those decisions. And even when you give testimony of it, boy, God dealt with me. And man, this is great. This is wonderful. But then, no, let, let me, let me. <laughs> but then it gets to be the same old, same old. What do you mean? Well, I mean, then you have to practice it. And it's not always the same thrill. I'm trying to quit. I really am. But, but it's not always the same thrill when you're practicing it the next day or the next week 
No, no, no. It, it, sometimes it becomes a real warfare. Because it's like, well, I made this decision and how come I'm feeling like this? You have flesh on you. Well, I want to be a better person. You can if you'll do what God wants you to do. Absolutely so. But it's not like all those victories come overnight. And there's always going to be something that we have to deal with. And, and no, 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 no. I've been saved 37 years. I'm still trying. I'm still trying hard to be what God would have me to be. And I hate that I haven't come any farther than I have. But I don't want to quit trying. Because the life that God has given me is so much better than anything I ever imagined I could even have, Brother Leo. I mean, truly. And so every day I get up and say, Lord, I, I'm going to need your help again today. I know I'm going to face some battles today. I'm glad for every decision that's ever been made since, since you became a Christian. I'm glad for every positive decision that you have made. But maybe you need to remake some of them. Or maybe you just need to, to decide to solidify some of them. Lord, no matter what goes on in my life, I'm following you. Lord, I know you've been dealing with me about getting this stuff out of my life. I'm going to go ahead and get it out. Well, preacher, you know, I'll try to do something about that in the next month. Oh, no, 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 no. When God deals with you about something, it just needs to go the next day or even tonight or whatever the case may be. Some of the best things I did in my Christian life was to get rid of some things. And I could go down a long list, but I'm telling you, if God doesn't want something in your life, just get it out. Whether it be things, whether it be friends, whatever. Just get it out. Just get rid of it. Just decide that your relationship with God is much more important than that. Maybe it's just a poor attitude and poor spirit that you need to ask God for help. Lord, I don't want to act like this anymore. I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want, I don't want this anymore. God, I need your help. Maybe it's that. I don't know. I don't know what you're dealing with. But God knows what you're dealing with. And if you'll yield to him, he can do great things. Let's bow our heads. Would you bow your head with me, please? Thanks for being so patient tonight. Lord, I don't know how you may have spoke to hearts. We're going to open up the altars. And Lord, if you've spoken to hearts, I pray folks would come. They'd allow you to deal with them, whatever the case may be, whatever you're wanting to do. Uh, Father, that you'd help us. I know that we are supposed to love you with everything in us. Lord, help us to make sure that we're at least trying to do that. And Father, for the things that we battle with, I pray that you'd give us victory as we just yield to you. And there may be someone in here, Lord, that's never trusted Christ as their Savior. I pray you'd continue to deal with them, that you would deal with them. Lord, that they'd come to the saving knowledge of Christ before it's too late. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for helping us. I pray you'd bless this time of invitation. We just need you to do what we can. We trust that you will and ask these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's all stand to our feet. Some are praying. You need to come. Why don't you come? Come on, we'll not take long.